0: You know, um, we're at the tail end of a series that we've entitled um, what, what We Believe, and we've been on a nine-week journey, counting today, and next week we'll be wrapping it up. And, and after next week, we're going to begin a probably four- to six-week series on prayer. Uh, we're going to examine the prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew 6. It's rich, it's powerful, You won't want to miss it, okay? So stay tuned for that in the upcoming weeks. Today, we're going to talk about what we believe about the future. Living like Jesus is going to return today, what we believe about the future. The study of the future is often called eschatology. It's it's the study of The things that are last, that's what that Greek word means, last. The study of eschatology then, or eschatology, is a study of the last things related to the last days, the end times. It's what we believe about the future of the world. We believe that when it comes to the future of the world, in other words, when all is said and done, that humanity is going to be divided into two groups, two classes of people. The believers, the righteous, the ones that are found in the righteousness of Christ. And then the unbelievers, the unrighteous, those who are on a collision course to being lost forever. I was down in Las Vegas last week and I was spending time with my daughter, my wife and I. We had finished our vacation. We was actually still kind of on vacation. But, you know, when you go home to see family, it's not vacation. I mean, you know that. So we're spending time with my daughter. And, um, and you know, I, I, I love Vegas. I do. I love being there. And, and uh, my daughter wanted us to have transportation to get around. So she told me, she asked me if I would take her to work so we could have transportation. Now, I don't mind doing that. Because I I you know I like Las Vegas. And I always carry my navigation system with me wherever I go. It's trusted. I mean, I, I know this system. And so I didn't have a problem driving in Vegas. All right. I had my navigation system with me. But but my daughter, after I dropped her off at work, she had got this new car and and it had a built-in navigation system in it, you know. so, you know, Dad wanted to set the navigation system up for her, you know. So, so I set the navigation system up. She calls me later on in the afternoon. and She says, Dad, I'm ready to go. Can you come get me? And so I take off in the car. I'm on my phone. I program the navigation system. Unfamiliar navigation system in an unfamiliar car in an unfamiliar city. And it was a disaster. I found myself in the heart of Las Vegas in rush hour traffic at five o'clock, not having a clue where I was going and not being able to depend on this navigation system. Lost, man. Lost. You know, as it relates to the future, the unbeliever, for the unbeliever, it's a lot like driving that way in an unfamiliar car, in an unfamiliar place, with an unfamiliar navigation system. See, they're not following the course that God has laid out for humanity. And so they're on the collision course of being lost for eternity. But for the believer, For the the follower of Christ, the word of God is our navigation system. And it, it sets the course not only for where we are right now, but where we're headed. And along the way, family, we get a chance to see markers and signs that let us know that we're heading in the right direction. And so we're not just traveling through life blindly. We know exactly where we're going and we know exactly what our future looks like. And listen, you know this to be true. We might not know every little detail. We might not know even the step that we need to take the next time. But here's what we do know. We know that we have a Father who loves us. We know that we have the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us. And we know that we have God's Word as our navigation system, and it tells us exactly what the future holds for us. So we don't have to be driven by life. Instead, we can navigate life's highway with confidence knowing exactly where we're going and that the course of our future has already been set. You know, last week, I, I, Corey, I, I like to call him Smiddlecofer because I, I just like that name. Last week, Smiddlecofer Set me up really good, man. He talked about the church and the, the nature of the church and, and who we are and, and what we're supposed to be doing called to a work as representatives of the kingdom of God, right? And he set me up. In, in fact, he set me up so well, it, it felt like, have you ever watched, it used to be WWF, right? I, I think it's called WWE now. Have you ever watched WWE where you've got, you've got the tag teams, right? And and you've got, you've got the tag team that's winning, and the guy that's winning in the ring, in the ring he's just kind of bouncing around. He's like, yeah, I got the dudes laying all out there, and he's just, like, jumping around. And the guy outside the ropes, he's standing out there like, man, tag me in, tag me in, tag me in, because he wants some of that. You know what I mean? I kind of feel like Smittle Cofer set me up like that. I feel like he set this thing up so well for me to teach this message that it's like me jumping off the ropes and getting ready to body slam the devil, man. He set me up. Because listen, this is what he said. He said, when it comes to the church, to the future of God's people, we're on task if we do what God has called us to do. And if we step into who God has called us to be, we are living our future right now. We're living it. So he went on to say that there should be a sense of urgency in the body of Christ, to begin living life as Jesus was coming back today. Because he could. He could very well come back today. So what does it mean to live life as if Jesus is coming back? If he's coming back today, let me give you three examples of what that means. First, we must stay awake. We must stay awake. Jesus instructs us in Mark chapter 13. He says, listen, pay attention to the end times. He says, wake up. Be alert. He's talking about the second coming, his second coming, and, and the rapture of the church that could happen any moment. Mark chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun but the Father only, and therefore, be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the end time will come. It's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at the rooster crowing. Or in the morning, unless he comes and suddenly finds you asleep. And what I say to you, and he was talking to the church then, but he's talking to us today. He says, What I say to you, I say to all stay awake. You see, family, the rapture of the church is our future. The rapture of the church is Jesus coming back for his people, for his church. Listen, it is going to happen. Uh, Some of of y'all didn't hear that. It is going to happen. And listen, it's going to happen. And when it does, we're going to see, we're going to see the rapture happen. We're going to experience it as children of God in two phases. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 15, Paul writes this. He says, he says for this I declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command. Listen, everybody say, this is our future. Do you know that to be true? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command. With the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Listen, followers of Christ who have gone on to be with him are going to have first dibs and and their bodies are going to be resurrected to a glorified body. Their body, their mortal body will be turned and changed to an immortal body. Then Paul goes on to say, listen, then he's not done yet. Here's the second phase. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord and therefore encourage one another with these words. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, listen, this is going to occur in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. No time to sleep now, family. No time to sleep now. So if you are sleep, wake up. And if you're awake, stay alert. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. So living as if Jesus is returning today means that we need to stay awake. It also means that we should be living with a longing. I was sitting in my office yesterday. The face of a young man came across my my mind, and I miss him. I want to see him. I want to hear his voice. I want to see his face. I want to listen to his quirky jokes. I want to put my arm around his neck. I long to see him. I miss him. You know, sometimes I long to see Jesus like that. Don't you? Do you long for Jesus to return? Does your relationship with him drive you deeper into longing to see him face to face? It should. It should. But you know, that's not always the case, is it? It's not always the case, especially when things are going well. Have you ever noticed that when things are going well, it's easier to neglect the important things in life like relationships? You ever notice that? See, we tend to neglect the important things in life like relationships when things are going really, really well. I believe we can get so focused, so consumed on the good things that life provides us here, that we end up in relational complacency. And it sets in. You know, you know like this, man, it's good down here. And You know, if Jesus comes back, ah, that's cool. But if he doesn't come back, I'm cool with that too. But listen, this world is not our home. And we should be living with a longing to be with him. We can get complacent. You know, I believe that's why God allows crisis to occur in our lives. Because in times of crisis, we, we refocus on the things that are important. When crisis hits, it draws us to our knees. It compels us to get on the phone or jump in the car and reach out to someone, drive across town and see them. And make sure that they're okay. Crisis will do that. You know, you heard earlier about VBS. I was was sitting in a classroom listening to this teacher just wax eloquently on the gospel. Jackie Tucker rushes in. She says, hey, pastor, shots were fired out there. And so I rushed out. It was only like 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. But already the team, the VBS team, had responded so quickly that by the time I got out there within a minute, everybody was coming in and the door was getting ready to be shut. It was unbelievable. And then to watch them minister to the kids in this time of crisis was incredible as God opened the door. Because, listen, the theme of the day is even when we're afraid, Jesus loves us. So to watch them ministering to these kids was just amazing. But I'll tell you the most amazing thing that happened. The, the school was on lockdown. And in walks Ty Whitty in his full uniform. Ty's a police officer. And, you know, and I'm looking at Ty, you know, I love me some Ty Witty, man. It's like when Ty's on scene, he's he's in uniform, everything is cool. That's just the way it is with me, right? So Ty walks in, but I'm telling you, Ty had this look on his face like, not right now, Pastor. Can't talk to you right now. I'm on a mission, man. I long to see my family and to make sure that they're okay. I want to embrace my wife and my kids, and make sure they're okay. Dude, I love you and everything, but I ain't got time for it right now. Until I reunite with my family, we ought to think of, of longing for Jesus that way. And it's in times of crisis, family, that 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 I find myself longing for Jesus to come and get us out of this place. Don't you? Don't you feel that? Hmm. And I'll tell you something. The longer I live on this earth, the longer I see the evil that's in this earth, the more I hate Satan. I hate him. I hate him. And that my hatred for him fuels my intense longing for the day when Jesus will return from me. Because, listen, when my king returns, he's going to set up his kingdom here on this earth. And he's going to rid the earth of sin and of sickness and disease and death and poverty forever. Listen, it is going to happen. It is going to happen and I live with the longing for that day. I think that's the way that Jesus wants us to live. So if we are to live as if Jesus is coming back today, it first means that we, family, must stay awake. And, and then we should live with the longing for his return. And then third, we should live life unready. We should be ready. You know, I told you we were on vacation. We were just wrapping up the first leg of our vacation in Palm Springs. And, um, and man, it was, it was a great vacation, but it was time to go, man, you know. And so, and so we, we didn't rent a car. We caught a cab back to the airport. And so, you know, when you're going to catch a cab, you got to prepare for it. Because how many of you know, as soon as they pull into the driveway, they hit that meter? Somebody said, ah, you know it's true. So, So my wife and I, we got our bags, man, we're all packed and everything. All our zippers are zipped, the handles are up. Man, when that guy hits the lobby, by the time he pulls up, we are walking out the door. You hear me? We're ready. We're prepared. We're ready to go. That's how God wants us to live our lives in preparation for the return of Jesus. Live our lives ready to go. So how do we do that? What does it look like for the follower of Christ to live life on ready? Well, let me give you four expressions of what that looks like. And you can find them all in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Here's what Paul writes. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God how to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But I urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your own hands as as we have instructed you. Why? Why, Paul? Why is that important? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I love what Wayne Grudem says regarding Christ's return and being ready. He says this, he says, To be ready for Christ's return is to be faithfully obeying him in the present. Actively engaged in whatever he has called us to. So here in this passage, here are the four expressions of living already, being prepared for Jesus' return. The first one is keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing and do more of it. Paul says, listen, the things that you are doing, family, to, to, to express and display the love of Jesus Christ, keep doing it. In fact, do it more and more and more and more. Aspire to live quietly. Let me piggyback again on what Corey said. It's time to be the church. It's time to let our actions speak for us. The world is tired of all this verboseness and and a lot of chatter. What does it look like to actually be the church and live it out daily? Nothing takes the place of living out the gospel, of being the embodiment of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to say amen. The third is mind your own business. Pay attention to what's going on in your own household. And intentionally mine out and cultivate relationships that mean the most to you. Disciple your family in the ways of Christ. Love them in good times and in times of crisis. Then Paul says, work with your hands. You know, understand that that to consistently carry out the work of Christ is not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, Lee Hudson says, it's going to cost you everything. It's not going to be easy. But see, we are called to, by God as a family, as a body of believers, to bring the gifts that we have to the table so that the body of Christ can flourish, so that the body of Christ can be complete. And when that happens, here's the outcome. When God's people will do this, These things will be the outcome. As a church, we will be dependent on no one. The church family and those in the family who are in need will have no need. The church will be self-supporting and self-sufficient. And when everyone willingly brings their time, their talent, their treasure, their touch, there will be no lack in the body. And we will position ourselves to serve others. We watched it firsthand this week in Vacation Bible School. It was awesome, the church being the church. The other outcome will be our faith will be evident to those outside the body. See, the desired outcome that we're looking for is that the world will observe our lives and desire what we want, family. Desire what we have. Because listen, it's only then, it's only when we provoke the world to envy Christ on the inside of us that we can point them to Jesus. And that's where we want to point them. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 9. As a matter of fact, the whole of... Matthew 9 is Jesus in action, reaching out to the world in this way. He heals a, par- a paralytic. This is all in chapter 9. He heals a paralytic. He heals a woman with a blood disorder. He gives sight to a blind man. He raises a dead girl from, from, the, from the dead. He casts out a demon out of a man. And people heard about it, and crowds of people began to come to him because in him they saw hope, and they needed hope. Jesus, in Matthew 9, verse 36, Scripture says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Here's what Jesus is saying. We are the hope of the world. You are the hope of the world. We are the hope of the world. We are the laborers that have been sent out to work in the harvest. I I love when people just give it to you straight. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church puts it this way. He says, when we turn our back on an opportunity to minister to the lost, it's like telling the lost world, you can go to hell. When we turn our back on an opportunity to minister to the lost, it's like lost world, you can go to hell. Strong words. As kingdom representatives, family, our, our navigation system is on. The course of our future is already set for us. The question is, will we live our lives in such a way that the world around us, those who are lost and are on a collision course to spend an eternity lost and without hope, eternally separated from God, will we live our lives in such a way that they will look at our lives and want to change their course because they see what we have and they want what they see in us. Will they see enough in us to want to follow us because because they can see that we know where we're going? That we know what our future holds for us? That's the way that God wants us to live our lives. As if Jesus is coming back today. Lee, you can bring your team up. I want to close with some questions today that I want you to ponder and respond to this week as you have a chance. I believe the Lord will give us chance. Here's the first. Paul tells us in first Corinthians chapter 11, he says, let a man examine himself. Let a man, let a woman examine themselves. So here's the question, are you ready for Christ to return today? Are you ready? If he cracked the sky today to rescue and take home his children, will you be in that number? Do you know that for sure? If you're not sure, you don't have to leave here the same. You can leave here with your navigation system set on eternity with Jesus Christ. You can. Here's the second question. If you knew that, that he was going to return within 24 hours, what situations or relationships would you want to straighten out before he came back? Man, this thing is real. The religious leaders of the day came to Jesus and they said, Tell us, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And here's what Jesus says. He says, The greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And they said, But wait, hold on for a second. Because the second is just as great and on this hangs all the laws and the prophets and that is to love your neighbor as yourself vertical relationship horizontal relationship what relationships would you mend if you knew that Jesus was coming back within the next 24 hours Finally, who do you know that's an unbeliever who's ripe for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Someone that you know is lost, and you know it. Someone you know that if they died in their sins, that they would spend eternity separated from God, and you know them. Maybe you've been witnessing to them for a while, and you know that, that their spirit, their heart is ripe to receive the gospel. Will you ask God to show you how to reach out to them this week? Will you ask him, will you pray for an opportunity to have an audience with them so you can point them to Jesus? Our future is set. And we are the hope of the world. So let's be about the mission that God has called us to do. Let's be a family on mission. Learning how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who makes disciples of Christ who are living as if he's going to return today. Because you know what? He just might. Father, thank you for this time of sharing truth. May it penetrate our lives and may we live our lives in readiness and obedience to you, being ready for your return. And may we not think of ourselves only having our own bags packed and ready to go, but may we take your spirit And do the work that you've called us to, and that is to go out into the harvest. Reap the harvest for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.